This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Working Overtime, Working's bi-weekly, advice-focused side hustle. I'm your host, Karen Hahn. And I'm your other host, June Thomas. Hi, June. How are you? I am swell, thank you. I have finally kind of figured out the TV schedule in Britain. Oh, that's important. Yeah, I'm getting my TV vibes, listening to some good British podcasts. I'm getting super British with my culture. What about you? How are you doing? Pretty good. I sort of having the same like TV adventure, which is actually my follow-up question for you, which is, mm. do, you, do you mean that in you're figuring out like when stuff is airing in Britain or like when you can then get it on streaming? <laughs> A little bit of both, actually. Okay, okay. I confess that I really haven't been watching things live, even though I could. I paid for my TV license, I promise. Oh, okay, okay. Because I'm sometimes working in the evening, I tend right. to just watch things on catch-up. There's a robust catch-up culture here. <laughs> so what have you been watching? Well, we've been watching uh, Andor in this household, the new Star Wars spinoff, uh, as well sure. as we just binged all of the first season of Abbott Elementary. So I've been, we've been watching the second season as it airs, which has been an interesting uh, experience to be like, oh, it airs on Wednesday nights, but we can only watch it on Thursday on streaming. <laughs> right, right. All right. So what are we talking about today? Well, we recently got an email from one of our listeners, Alyssa, I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, asking how to move past goal-focused work, and I thought that was a pretty rich question for a discussion. Here is what she wrote to us. I'm a middle-aged college professor, full professor at a community college. There are no more promotions to be had. I'm also deeply burnt out, so maybe this is just a burnout question, but I feel like I have spent my entire adult life being goal-slash-reward-focused. I need to get the PhD. I need to get a tenure-track job. I need to get tenure. I need to get promoted. I need to get promoted again. I have also felt like my work-focused intellectual life has been very lonely for the last 15 years or so. I don't get the joy out of a publication that I used to. But I'm 50. I don't want to be waiting to retire for the next 15 years or however long. How do I find intrinsic motivation at this age? Thanks. Alyssa. To start off, June, would you say that you approach work in this way, working towards goals and rewards? Yeah, you know, probably. I think a lot of employers encourage that mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, Probably a lot of our listeners have worked at companies that schedule annual or twice yearly even performance review meetings where you have to kind of set and recalibrate goals and measure your progress toward them. And I did that for so long, I think I internalized that process. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I think it's a really useful one. Sometimes when you do it at work, it feels a bit pro forma. I will diss on uh, Microsoft here because <laughs> that was where I first did them. Yeah. And at least when I did it, reviews there were incredibly important. They basically decided your pay. But Gee. everyone knew that there were like bigger factors than you involved, mostly to do with departmental budgets. Mm -hmm. So if you were in the unfortunate position to work on a team where everyone was really high achieving, 
someone was going to get screwed regardless of their performance, and that's not terribly motivating. But even though they can be frustrating, I think they're really useful just for reminding people of what they're working toward at this place of employment or in their larger careers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's not universal. Some fields have their own calendars that set the priorities. You know, when I worked in publishing, our goals and the rewards were pretty much shaped by the publishing schedule, the two mm -hmm. seasons when we release books. I've never worked in academia, but it obviously has a very clear and regular schedule. So perhaps it's kind of less goal-oriented for some people, more mm -hmm. cyclical there. What do you think? I feel like I have a somewhat difficult time with this question because I think that to a degree, everything is incentivized in this sort of mm. way. Like yeah. you finish an article and it gets published. You finish a piece of pottery and it gets fired. <laughs> you finish a puzzle and you put the last piece in and then you have the complete puzzle. But I think what Alyssa is getting at is maybe more the idea of having these goalposts set that you're supposed to hit, which I think sort of speaks to what you're saying in terms of like having performance reviews that you have to do every time. And yeah. I, and there's like good and bad things to it. Like I remember when I still had to do performance reviews, like I found them really annoying where it was like, I am doing my job correctly and I don't need to have someone like hold my hand through the process of doing it. But mm -hmm. at the same time, having structure is really useful. For instance, like, I don't think I would have finished writing my book if I hadn't had deadlines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I find it incredibly hard to finish anything if I don't have a deadline set. Um, yeah, yeah. That said, yeah, I don't know. Again, like, to be, I guess, get a little more to the heart of Alyssa's question, like, I think it is maybe less about personal feeling and more about, like, the professional structure that you're in. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I haven't worked in academia, mm -hmm. so I'm projecting a little bit. But I think that the kind of goalpost orientation is probably an extra strong impulse in mm -hmm. fields that are set up like pyramids, like academia, you know, where you start off with a broad base of people who are interested in pursuing this career. But it's a real challenge or many different multiple challenges mm -hmm. to get into programs, to do good research, to get a tenure track job, to thrive in your job and keep getting promotions. And at every stage, fewer and fewer people get through. So getting to the pointy part of that pyramid is intrinsically motivational, especially the higher up you get. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, unlike some other pyramid professions like, say, oh, I don't know, journalism, once you get to the top, there's this thing called tenure, which means that you're not constantly bobbing and weaving to avoid the chop. Wouldn't that be nice if there was journalism oh my God. tenure? <laughs> what a thought. And, you know, I suspect that for some people, and it sounds like Alyssa is one of those people, there's a bit of a, woohoo, I made it, but now what moment. Does that sound right to you? It does sound very right to me, but we will get to that right after this quick break. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, is there a particular creative struggle you'd like to hear us tackle? Let us know by emailing us at working at slate.com or even better, you can call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-WORK. Okay, so to get back to it, I completely agree with what you're saying, because the thing that I immediately thought of when I read Alyssa's question was like very academia based, but in a much less professional level, because from the goalposts angle, I think the first time that I really encountered thinking about that kind of structure was when I graduated from college, because Mm -hmm. up until that point, I'd had these very set goalposts go from elementary school, it's then go to middle school, and then it's get into a good high school, and then it's go to college. And then suddenly there was this total lack of structure after that. Like there wasn't a set thing. Like obviously you could go to grad school, but it's not as set as going to high school or going to college um, on a broad level. And I was wondering if you'd had any similar experiences on that broad level. And again, more generally speaking, how, if you did shake yourself out of that mentality? Yeah, I think I went through a process similar to the one Alyssa described. Maybe I hadn't climbed quite as high up the ladder, mm-hmm. but I kind of got tired of climbing, you know, or, <laughs> or not even tired of climbing, more that at a certain point I got to an age and a, a place of comfort where I could sort of look around and say, is this all there is, you know? Mm-hmm. Should I keep on this path, which I enjoy and which provides for my earthly needs, <laughs> or is there something else I want to do? Mm-hmm. And I'd always wanted to write a book, so I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I did eventually step off the career ladder to attempt to achieve another career-adjacent ambition, which was more personal, you might even say more selfish, than the kinds of goals that you craft where you have to kind of align your personal goals with the needs of the place that pays your salary. I suspect, though, Karen, that you went through (laughs) that process, but at a much earlier stage of your career than I did. 
Yeah, although I think maybe it had a little less to do with the classic is this all there is question mm -hmm. and more with the just the shape of the media landscape where it's much, much harder to get a staff job. And even from that position, it's much harder to work up into a place where you're working on the kinds of things that you want to be working on. For instance, yeah. a lot of the jobs that I had in journalism were basically serving the churn. Like you had to help hit the traffic goals and it didn't have mm -hmm. as much to do with necessarily pursuing the kinds of topics that you wanted to. And I do sometimes wonder if I had been able to get into those kinds of that kind of staff position, if I would have done it for longer because I would mm. have just enjoyed it more or found it kind of more personally fulfilling. But yeah. it's it's behind me now, I guess. So yeah. there's no point in navel gazing too much about it. But I also want to address this part of Alyssa's message that she feels like her work-focused intellectual life has become a lonely one and that she no longer really gets that much joy out of uh, her work, uh, which is a really kind of sad prospect. And I, I wondered yeah. if you had ever experienced that kind of feeling of isolation in a job and what you did about it. Yeah, that word lonely in her message was really striking. And yeah, I can relate, you know, as you mm -hmm. take on more managerial responsibilities, you are kind of by necessity separated in some ways from the people you manage. You know, it changes the nature of relationships. So lonely, I think, can be, you know, maybe a dramatic way of putting it, but it's a thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes, maybe even often, as, as you were kind of alluding, what you have to do in your job, because that's what your employer needs you to do, mm -hmm. and what they pay you to do isn't what you really want to do. And that disconnect can be, you know, discouraging, depressing, lonely, all of those things. I think in general terms, the best thing you can do to set yourself up for getting out of a situation like that is to really spend some time thinking about what you would like to do. Like, what would your ideal situation, if you, you know, ran the world, what job would you give yourself? Mm -hmm. Figure out what you think would bring more joy and personal satisfaction to your work life. And then if you are still in a job, talk to your manager to figure out if that is possible in that job. And if it isn't, maybe decide if you want to move in a different direction. You know, that isn't always possible. I don't want to be a Pollyanna, but at <laughs> least then you know what you're looking for, even if you have to wait or go elsewhere for that. And I have to say, too, that finding that satisfaction at work by tweaking responsibilities gets harder and harder mm -hmm. the higher up the ladder you go. So in Alyssa's case, that might not be possible. What's your take on all this, Karen? I think my, my own answer to this is maybe not necessarily that helpful to Alyssa right now, but a lot of my kind of not feeling that way in my personal work was because I always had peers in similar positions to commiserate with. And though that doesn't necessarily make your job any more fun or fulfilling, it definitely helps to know that other people are in their same boat and to be able to talk to them about their experiences with it. But I want to sort of circle back to something that you were saying earlier, which is that like a lot of these professional pyramids, again, the further up you go, the fewer people there are like in your yeah. same strata, which I think is part of the problem there 
there where I definitely had the luxury of being kind of in the lower or middle part of that pyramid. So there were mm -hmm. a lot of people around me. But I know that the further up that I would have gone in any respect, really, there would have been fewer people that I could talk to in that way. Yeah. But I, I think what I'm really catching on with this question is that it really is work focused. It doesn't sound like this feeling is really trickling out to Alyssa's personal life, which is, in fairness, a really healthy thing. Would you agree? <laughs> totally. Alyssa is obviously great at her job. She's done well. She's risen up the ladder. And now maybe the joy that she's seeking will come from consciously turning away from career-oriented goals and toward, you know, other parts of life. I totally agree. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break and then we will get right back into the meat of rekindling your motivation. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Listeners, I just want to remind you that if you are enjoying working overtime, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would love you to rate or review the show because it really does help new listeners to find us. And if Overcast is your app of choice, please hit the star to recommend the episode to others. Okay, let's tackle Alyssa's question head on. How do I find intrinsic motivation at this age or at least this far in one's field? So I feel like so many of our answers about creatively recharging involve finding other things to do, but that's not <laughs> yeah. really the question Alyssa's asking here. That said, I feel like we could try to adapt our answer and say that maybe the solution here is to look at things within her field in a new way to tackle a new project, which I, I know sounds very simplistic when I say it, like it's much easier said than done. But what do you think? No, that's exactly what I was thinking, Alyssa clearly loves scholarship and her mm -hmm. field and the pursuit of knowledge. But when you're in climbing mode, as we've been talking about, you have to make compromises. You maybe get pushed toward a slightly different specialization than you would like because there are going to be more jobs there or more funding in that other field. You might want to publish on one writer or movement. I'm sorry for all the humanities examples. I can't even imagine. <laughs> we the are who we are. <laughs> We are. But, you know, focusing on a different writer or movement is going to impress your tenure committee more. Well, Alyssa, you've gotten to the pinnacle when it comes to your own ideas and research and scholarship, at least. You can focus now on the things that interest you, the things that bring you joy and perhaps connect you to a community of scholars whose work you vibe with. So, I would encourage Alyssa to just spend some time, perhaps even take a sort of retreat, figuring out what she is interested in and what she would like to work on and then go for it. I suspect that might rekindle the enthusiasm she had at one point for her academic field or she wouldn't have gotten to the top. So mm -hmm. I think that could be the way forward. 
Yeah, definitely. And I also wonder if this is maybe, I don't know, obviously, if she is doing this already and it's not helping, but as far as suggestions go on this broad level, I wonder if this is a stage where mentorship might be a rewarding investment. Helping someone else in the same field means you're still doing something related to your work and your chosen field of study. But I think both kind of reliving the structures that you've already gone through, as well as having a vested interest in progress that doesn't necessarily have to be your own, is another sort of opportunity that's available to her in terms of trying to feel refreshed about the work that she's doing. Or maybe the solution is to consider publication on a kind of bigger level than the usually kind of scholarly articles, like writing a book. Yeah, I love the idea of mentorship. And, and obviously that could be working with a younger scholar in mm-hmm. her field or maybe getting involved in projects that aim to diversify that field, for mm-hmm. example. And I think that would be and could be really effective at dispelling that loneliness that she mentioned. Yeah. I would also encourage her to think beyond her field and maybe even beyond academia. You know, again, I don't know whether Alyssa's in the humanities, social sciences, science sciences, But whatever it is, she's an expert in it. You know, whatever, Alyssa, whatever you've published has almost certainly been written in that weird academic English that is absolutely impenetrable to, you know, normal humans. (laughs) And so, you know, what is it that people always get wrong in your field? What's the big piece of insight that comes from an area that you've studied and know tons and tons about that? regular people are totally ignorant of. Or, hey, maybe you want to write a Romana Clea set in the world of academia. I think you should do that. You don't have to please anyone anymore. You don't have to, you know, kowtow to any committees. You don't have to make your department chair happy. This is your screw you time. Use (laughs) it to do something that makes you happy. Yeah, I totally agree. Where like the fact that you now have tenure mean like both means that you are in a position where you definitely don't want to jeopardize it or lose it in any way. Like she mentions in her question, like, what do I do for like the next chunk of years before I retire? But at the same time, like it definitely does feel like June, what you're saying, like it's your screw you time. Like you can sort of maybe try to approach things from a blank slate. Again, I know that all the advice that we're giving is much easier said than done, (laughs) but just sort of thinking about like what other things you can do that aren't the typical kind of academia routes to take. Yeah. And the other thing is, whatever you're doing, whether you're in your job still, whether you retire, whether you volunteer, you always have to have a purpose. Otherwise, I think it's when you don't have a purpose or you don't feel like you know why you're doing what you're doing, Mm -hmm. that you can feel unhappy or dissatisfied by it. So again, one of those things that's easy to say, but like find your purpose and I think that will kind of rekindle the joy. And before we go, though, I do want to ask Alyssa to tell us what she makes of our (laughs) advice. Was it useful? Did it spark any other ideas or plans? Even was it dumb? Alyssa, (laughs) we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we would definitely love to hear back. And for many of our listeners, really, about the advice that we give. Yes. And that's all the time that we have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have ideas for things we could do better or questions you'd like us to address, we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at working at slate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. And if you'd like to support the work that we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. 
You'll get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood. You'll get extra segments of shows like Culture Gabfest, The Waves and Regular Working. <laughs> and you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate.com site. And you'll be supporting what we do right here on Working. Big thanks to Kevin Bendis and to our series producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Working. And in two weeks, we'll have another Working Overtime. Until then... Get back to work. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.